It can be challenging being single in the church, especially as you are in your 20s and then late 20s and then into your 30s and then beyond. There's a pressure from others. There's a pressure from your own family. There's a pressure you put on yourself. Perhaps there are doubts. There are questions. They're wondering what's wrong with you. And then there are times where you're perfectly content being single, and yet people bring up questions. They play matchmaker. They say things at weddings that make you discontent. I get it. In fact, I would be so bold as to say I may get it more than you do. See, weddings, for example, can be especially difficult. I understand that, especially if you desire to be wed, be wed yourself. And you go, and every wedding you're a little bit older, and the person getting married is a little bit younger, and people come up to you and say, oh, don't worry, the Lord will provide. And you're just sitting there enjoying yourself. Why do I say that I might get it more than you? I actually officiated more weddings when I was single than I have since I've been married. And these weren't peers. These were, these were kids. These were people who were college students when I was a college pastor. Then I went to seminary. Most of this was in seminary. And in the seminary I went to, I was single the whole time. And being married was assumed. The announcements the ministries, even some of the curriculum were geared towards married people without even a nod, without even a disclaimer, not even special instruction. Oh, by the way, if you're single, do this. No mention of it at all. Many of you know that I met my wife in Albania, but I was there several years single. About three weeks after moving to this foreign country, I turned 30. It's quite a big birthday to have away from friends and family. Along with the challenges of the loneliness, <laughs> the loneliness, boy, do I get that. Accompanied with being unmarried, I had the additional challenge of no one really knowing it was my birthday, let alone it was a milestone birthday. I was in a foreign land, a different culture, an unknown language. Every two years, my sending church, big church, you guys know it, would have a missions conference where the dozens of families would all get together somewhere in the world. It was a good time of fellowship, good time of training and seminars from the different pastors and elders of the church, and of course some sightseeing. One of the mandatory parts of that missions conference every two years was that every team, and at this point there were a few dozen of them, would sit down with the elders who were able to make it out to the missions conference to get an update, to hear how you're doing, to see how they could support you, encourage you. I was especially excited for that first meeting that I ever experienced, a little nervous. See, on our mission team, there were five men total at that time. There was a sixth that joined us a year or two later. Of those five men, I was the only one who was not married. Four of them were involved in the seminary. My good friend, the fifth, was uh, there for the youth group. He wasn't teaching in the seminary. We were there. Uh, we started the seminary uh, when I moved there. And so of the four men who taught in the seminary, of course, we, 
kind of uh, shared the responsibilities of the different classes. The, our team leader, who had been there the longest, he uh, taught the class on prayer. It was an easier class, a less intensive, because obviously he was very busy with a lot of other things. My good friend who moved there around the same time as me to help start the seminary, uh, he taught homiletics, which is how to interpret the Scripture. The other missionary who had been there the second longest, had been there for many, many years before we started the seminary, he taught Greek, no small task. And so really we doled out. Everyone had the one class they, they taught. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that left me with Theology 1, Theology 2, Theology 3, Old Testament Survey, New Testament Survey, Historical Theology, and Hebrew. And a few weeks in, our team leader realized he was too busy and gave me the rest of the prayer class. Needless to say, I was excited at that elders meeting to tell them how the seminary was doing. On top of that, I thought because so many people wanted to be trained, it would be good to have a Bible school there in Albania for lay people, and so they put me in charge of creating it and running it. I was the pastor of the young adults at that time. We called the Young Professionals Ministry. And they also put me in charge of running our annual pastor's conference attended by dozens of pastors all over Albania, but also all over Europe and the United States. And so as I sat there in that meeting, I thought, how am I going to summarize all of this? What are the key things that I want to tell these elders of this infamous church how things were going? And so they went one by one, of course, start with the team leader. How's your family? How's the team doing? How are these guys adjusting? Then my friend Justin, how the youth doing? We know your dad. He's a great man. Moved on to my friend who has started the seminary. How are you doing? And then finally it was my turn. They turned to me and they said, Roger, when are you going to get married? And that's the only thing they asked me. Then they moved on and ended the meeting and the next team went in. I get it. It's hard being single in the church. I get it. It doesn't help that the church gives bad advice to singles. The married in the church give bad advice to singles. Pressure, wrong thinking, unbiblical counsel. There's a pressure within the church to think that marriage is the be-all, end-all of Christian living. That ministry cannot be fully realized until you are married. And ironically, it is this unbiblical thinking, this unbiblical pressure that makes so many singles waste so much time looking for or thinking about a spouse. They throw away so many ministry opportunities. This morning, I would like to clear up some of your thinking, singles. And I also want to fix some of your advice, marrieds. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 9 is a shorter passage on singleness with a more extensive one towards the end of the chapter. We'll cover these three verses this morning. 
Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've used this joke yourself. There's a running, I think, half joke that singleness is referred to as the gift. Maybe I have the gift. They're referring to the gift of singleness, of course, and usually talk about it as a joke because they can't get a date. But from what this passage says, there is actually a gift of singleness, but it may not be what you think it is. Because as we will see, the fact that you even want to date means you do not have the gift. And if you pursue that gift, it can actually be quite dangerous. Although the term the gift comes from the passage we just read, it is often misused and misunderstood in the church. And so this morning, I want to give you three clarifications. Three clarifications regarding the gift of singleness. Three clarifications regarding the gift of singleness and singles and married, it is so important to understand this. The first clarification regarding the gift is that the gift of singleness is a spiritual gift. The gift of singleness is a spiritual gift. Let me read for you again verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, Each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Paul ends his discourse on marital intimacy that we saw last week with this statement. Verse 7 is actually a transitional statement that ends the paragraph that we saw last week, but I saved it for today as it introduces this teaching on singleness. Although briefly addressed here, as I mentioned earlier, he will pick up on this topic again later in verses 32 through 40. For a time this morning, we need to set the foundational truth that Paul's desire is that all men be single. They remain single. And that's what he's referring to when he says, as I myself am. Within the context, we need to understand that he is speaking of more than just singleness or the status or state of being unmarried. He's talking about celibacy, the gift of celibacy. What's the difference? Singleness describes your unmarried state, right? You're either married or you're unmarried. Celibacy, as Paul uses it in this context, is not the lack of sexual intimacy. It's the lack of desire for sexual intimacy. This isn't someone who's confused about sex. This isn't someone who's grossed out by it. This isn't someone who's uh, had it in a sinful way and now just is, is so averse to that sin. This isn't even about not struggling with immorality or lust. We're talking about a genuine lack of desire to be married, to have a spouse. And with that, no struggles with the desire for intimacy. Not that they've suppressed it, not that they've mastered it, they've just has no desire to be married, to have that companionship even. Not that they never get lonely. They just don't want to be married. Not like, oh, I don't want to be married. Gross. Just, I just never thought. Hit puberty, no desire there. Went to college, just wasn't interested. 
This is the gift that Paul is referring to here. We see that is way more than just being unmarried. This is very important to understand. As we will see in a moment, the unmarried individual who has a sex drive is encouraged to get married because they don't have this spiritual gift. And what we are seeing here is not just a relationship status, but an authentic heart attitude and state of mind. And this state of mind, frankly, is foreign to most of us because we are married or we want to get married. We struggle with the desire for the companionship and the intimacy. And although we all are or have been single at some point in our lives, most of us have not been in a state of having no desire for this type of intimacy that we spoke of last week. Whether desiring it only in marriage or just simply desiring it is indication that you don't have this gift. This is rare, the gift. And it must be granted by God, which is why Paul refers to it as a gift from God. Although Paul has his personal preference for others to remain single, he understands that it is only possible to remain this way and to be single in the way that we are talking about if it comes from God. Understand this. The way that he is using the word gift here is the same way he uses the word in referring to any spiritual gift, the gift of helps, the gift of teaching. This is a spiritual gift, a spiritual enabling by God himself. Now, I want to be fair and I want to be clear. Paul was married at one time. We know this because in Acts 26, we are told that he was a member of the Jewish tribunal of elders before his salvation, known as the Sanhedrin. We also know from history that marriage was a requirement to be a part of the Sanhedrin. And so we know that at one time he was indeed married, but at this time he is single. We know that throughout his apostleship he was single. Most assume that his wife had died. We aren't told for sure what happened to her. It's not important for our context, and obviously God didn't tell us, so we don't need to know. With that in mind, though he has a personal preference, he doesn't raise either to a higher level of spirituality. This is also very important to understand. In other words, he does not say it is better to be single, nor does he say it is better to be married. Depending on the situation for you, it may be better, as we'll see in a moment, but in and of themselves, neither is just more spiritual because it all comes down to how God has gifted you. And this is a principle that we understand of all spiritual gifts. It's nothing to brag about. It doesn't make you better. It's just how God has gifted people differently. And when we understand that celibacy is a spiritual gift, we need to also understand a few other things. And we're going to give you uh, six or five subpoints here. Understand this. Since it is a spiritual gift, it is from God. I know that's obvious, but I want to elaborate on this. As a Christian, the gift of singleness or singleness in this manner, celibacy, 
it's not just part of your DNA. It's not just part of your genetics. It is a special enabling from God. And if it comes from God, listen carefully, singles, it is good. If it comes from God, it is good. Those who really have the gift don't struggle with this except for the previously mentioned bad advice and pressure from other Christians. They're content being single because they have no desire to be otherwise. Regardless of what others may say or think, if this gift is from God and you have it, then praise Him for it. Worship Him for it. Number two, since it's a spiritual gift, it is not a matter of personal preference. It's not a matter of personal preference. This probably speaks more to those who don't have the gift and try to pressure people. Well, how about him? How about her? Why don't just think about it? Why wouldn't you want to be married? It's not a personal preference. They don't just change their mind. It is from God. Thirdly, since it's a spiritual gift, it is not a self-disciplined feat that you can take credit for. It is not a self-disciplined feat that you can take credit for. It's just a gift from God. Number four, since it's a spiritual gift, those blessed with this particular gift cannot expect others to have the same gift. Since it's a spiritual gift, those blessed with a particular gift cannot expect others to have the same gift. I struggled with this for a long time. And I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way. But for many years, and and even now I need to remind myself, uh, I would have a serious problem with other Christians who didn't minister to the same capacity that I did. If I can do, my, my thinking was, if I can do it, why can't you do it? I don't get it. Why does this not make sense to you? Just do it. Because, I, frankly, I have a pretty low view of myself, so I didn't understand that if I could do this stuff, why can't everyone do it? But it was my understanding of spiritual gifts that said, well, we're all gifted in different ways. You can't expect other people to have it. And frankly, especially with this gift, you can't expect other people to even understand it. But because of this, you are not to judge those who are married or judge other singles because they desire to date and be married. You're not to think yourself better than them. It's from the Lord. You can't take credit for it. And you can't expect other people to have it. I would also say this in the, in the subheading of you can't expect other people to have or even understand this gift. We need to beware of having a twisted or unbiblical view of marriage simply because you don't understand it or want it. People who visit our church who come from extremely charismatic or liberal or seeker-sensitive churches who grew up in those churches, got saved in those churches, they don't get, and they have a serious problem with my expository preaching. They're wrong. 
not us. And it's the same thing. If you have the gift of singleness, you have to be very careful. Just because you are not interested in it doesn't mean that marriage or dating is unbiblical, wrong, or evil, or sinful, or twisted. And fifthly, to understand in regards to this being a spiritual gift, since it is a spiritual gift, it does take effort. It does take effort. The gift itself does not arise from personal choice or self-discipline, but it does take effort. I trust that you all understand that I can do what I'm doing right now and that you enjoy it and grow through it because it is a gift. It's the Lord working through me. But I also hope and trust that you understand that I didn't just goof off all week, woke up this morning, combed my hair, threw on part of a suit, and this is just happening. I studied. I worked. I adjusted. I readjusted. In fact, because it was, to be perfectly open with you, because it was personal, I went over my introduction this morning dozens of times more than I usually do on a Sunday morning. Do I bring up my personal thing or bring up the elders meeting first or do I bring up this? I wanted to have the maximum impact. It takes effort. So how does the gift of singleness take effort? Well, I don't mean that it takes effort in suppressing urges or ignoring your desire to be married. Again, if that's the case, you don't have this particular gift. It will take effort in that your gift, as all gifts, are given for the building up of the body, not just for yourself. Don't waste the gift of singleness on self. You have more time. You have more money. You have more energy. Don't waste it on yourself. God gave you this to glorify Him and to build up His body. It's also going to take effort to appreciate that marriage is the norm for God's people and that you are to respect that. You are to encourage that and bless those with that gift. This list I just gave you is important for those with this gift to understand. But church... You cannot pressure someone with the gift of celibacy to date and get married any more than you can pressure me to stop preaching and learn the guitar or something like that. That's not my gift. That's not what I'm supposed to do here. We all have our own spiritual gifts, and we must use them for the glory of God, even if your gift is rare And it's not something that is typically seen in the church, like preaching or music or even technology. Use it for God's glory. And it is true that we have created a culture in the American church that pressures singles so much that they react with anger. They react with a lack of self-confidence. And we're almost telling them, you can't serve until you fix that. Church, we need to cut that out. We need to cut it out. On a practical level, 
We don't want to create a culture where marriage is expected and someone violate all of those items on my list simply because they want to please their parents, please the church, meet unbiblical expectations. I don't want to get married. I have no desire to get married. But people kept, keep sending guys my way. People just ask you, when are you going to get married? So I guess that's the key, right? That's the key to be accepted in this church. That's the key to finally function. We can't do that, guys. We too must praise God for the variety He has given us in the brothers and sisters around us, including those who God has gifted and called to be single till He meets them face to face. The gift of singleness is a spiritual gift. I don't know about you, but when it's clear that someone has a spiritual gift, I dare not meddle with what God has chosen to do. The second clarification regarding the gift of singleness is that the gift of singleness is a selfless good. The gift of singleness is a selfless good. Look at verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. Paul gets more specific now and refers to the unmarried and widows in verse 25. He will add a third group, which is virgins, which is another term for those who have never been married. And so this covers all types of single people. Together, all three would revert, refer to the whole gamut. Young singles, never married, divorced, widows, widowers, all of them. And he goes further than just saying that he would prefer singles stay single. He now says it is good for them to do so. Why? And this is where I get the selfless part. He doesn't just say remain as I because, hey, singleness is great because, you know, Paul just spent all his money and time on himself. No, he didn't do that. I would imagine if he were living today, he probably wouldn't even know what Netflix was, honestly. He's like, I don't, I don't even know what that is. At the end of the chapter, he will tell the unmarried that they can focus more on serving God and serving others because they are single. Whereas married people have their time and attention split between ministry and family, that's a good thing. We worship God through that. But the unmarried do not have that added responsibility, and so they can focus on everyone else. And this goes back to the fact that singleness is a spiritual gift. And like all spiritual gifts, you can use it selfishly. Your time, your talents, you can use them selfishly. I'll give you a little clue. I believe I have the gift of preaching and teaching. But it doesn't just come out when I'm speaking spiritual things. It can apply to any topic that I want. And I can use that selfishly. I can use that to manipulate. I can use that to be a guru, self-help guru that makes a lot of money and cheats people out of money. All spiritual gifts can be used selfishly, including, and perhaps especially, the gift of singleness. 
part of that spiritual gift are many practical gifts. And sometimes it's hard to to see this because you've only been in that situation, but you do have more time. You do have more money. You do have more flexibility, which is great because you can use it to travel, night out with the girls every night, binge watch, or you can use it to serve which is why God made you that way, by the way. Paul is a great example. He's a great role model. We understand and we read, to a certain degree, the intensity of his missionary work. It would have been impossible to do that if he was married and have a biblical marriage. She would be left. He, he would, they would have tortured her to get him to recant and stop. He'd never be with her. Or he would, and he just wouldn't have planted all those churches. He couldn't have done it if he was married. God knew what he was doing. Married at one time, now with the gift of singleness. And there are a couple details in this verse to point out. First, this is not a command. It is a suggestion a divinely inspired suggestion as it is Scripture, but it is not a command. There is no imperative here. In other words, it is up to the individual. There is no command in this verse. And secondly, nobody is saying this is easy. Nobody is saying this is going to be easy. Aside from being unmarried, the singling out of widows is very interesting for this point. In Paul's day, widows faced a lot more challenges than widowers with finances, frankly, being the heart of the issue because generally women did not, could not work. They wouldn't be hired. There was no life insurance. There were no retirement funds. You get divorced, your husband dies, you're in big trouble. And hopefully... Suddenly, a lot of these Old Testament stories are making sense to you, why these women didn't just be on their own, needed help, needed a kinsman redeemer. For them, remaining single meant there was nobody to provide in a time when salaries really just existed for men. I mean, even in Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, she sells fabrics, but that was really more of a a side hustle. It, It wasn't a primary income that could have supported her whole family. And I get it that times are different, but the point remains the same. If you have been given the gift of singleness, but you want to marry for the sake of convenience, you might want to rethink your decision. Nobody said this would be easy or comfortable. Just because you have extra resources doesn't mean it's easy just to give them all up. And especially if you are no longer in college, and trust me, I've seen this so many times. Man, I I don't think I have the gift of singleness, they say, but I know I'm going to be single for a while. I'm going to use it for ministry. I'm going to use it to give. I'm going to use it to serve. And then, cha-ching, first paycheck. Whoa! Never had that much money in his hands before in his life. They start buying stuff. 
They start getting tied down to debt, mortgage way sooner than they should have a mortgage. Thankfully, it's not as easy now with the, the subprime mortgages gone. And then they're stuck. But what's more, I think, is more reality is they have all this time. They don't have to study. They're literally done at five and they're home. So what do they do? What do they use their time doing? Click. Click. Ah, oh, what is it? Autoplay next episode? Oh, I guess it started. Ah, oh, I really want to. Oh, cliffhanger. Let's see the next episode. Who's trending on YouTube? Who's got, you know, it's, we just waste. And then you get so comfortable being selfish, right? And you say, well, that's okay because I don't have a family. I don't have kids. It's me time. No, 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 no. That's not why you're single. You're single because it's God's time. He gave you that time. He gave you that money. He gave you those resources so that you can serve. So don't waste it doing whatever it is that you do. Don't waste it just mulling the idea of marriage. Use your time wisely. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. But it is a blessing and it is a joy. On the flip side, if you see marriage as something that will take away from your free time and ability to have fun, then again, you're grossly missing the point. It is a gift that is to be used for the benefit and betterment of others, as is marriage. But we are to serve no matter what place God has put you in. Let me give you a third clarification regarding the gift of singleness. We've seen that the gift of singleness is a spiritual gift. The gift of singleness is a selfless good. Thirdly, the gift of singleness is a subjective good. It is a subjective good. You say, well, anyway, we just read this, that it's good in Scripture. How can something that's good in God's eyes be subjective? Well, we've already seen that singleness is a suggestion. It's not a command. It is a gift for some, not all. It's never a command. And even though it may be good for some, it is actually bad, not neutral, bad for others. In other words, this is not a blanket, objectively good thing for anyone who pursues it. In fact, it is plain dangerous in the hands of the wrong people, so it is only subjectively good. It is only good if you have the gift. So in what situations would it be bad? Verse 9. But if they do not have self-control... Let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I mentioned last week that the desire to have sex or even a lack of self-control in this area is not the only reason to be married, but it is a biblical reason. And in this specific context is a clear sign that you do not have the gift of singleness. To burn or be aflame in the ESV says is, is referring to sexual desire, sexual passion. An active desire for such things simply shows that celibacy is not for you. 
in this context. Rather than giving in to sins of immorality, whether in practice or just in your own mind, you should seek to get married. This is not a call to get married right now, but it is a call to two things. You need to avoid celibacy as a lifelong commitment, understanding you don't have the gift. And second, practice sex biblically. In other words, within marriage with a Christian of the opposite sex. Marriage to a Christian of the opposite sex. That's biblical marriage. Put these two points together. Avoid celibacy as a lifelong commitment and practice sex biblically. And you have what Paul is saying here in the two words, get married. As someone who is single, you cannot live a happy life if you are continually burning with sexual desire. The problem is that our sin acknowledges that this is true and then justifies sexual release in ways that are immoral. Don't do that. Don't do that. In ancient Corinth, the people that Paul is writing to, it would have been hard not to give into temptation because of the prevalence of immorality in the culture coupled with the ease of indulging in such vices. It was a norm in society. Things are very different today. Today we have the same thing, but with the addition of modern technology that allows convenience, privacy, and ease of access. But also 2,000 years of population growth that allows for more accessibility, more people willing to do it, and anonymity. There are people who have gotten rich so that you can have sex anonymously and find that through your phone. It's hard. The temptation is real. But again, marriage is not commanded. Whether you choose to get married or not, as someone who burns in this way, you need to refrain from immorality. In fact, you must hate it. What about those who find themselves in this situation but have nobody to marry? It's a very good question. I want to give you a few reminders. I know I'm giving you a, little, a lot of lists this morning. A few reminders if you clearly don't have the gift of celibacy, but there's no one to marry. Because he says, if you burn, get married. What do you do? Some of these you've heard, some of these if you're single and in your late 20s or 30s or even 40s, you're probably sick of hearing these. But number one, be content. Be content. You don't just muscle your way, I've got to be content. How do I be content? This is how you be content in any situation. I'm talking about singles who want to be married, but there's no one to marry. But this is true of any situation. How do you be content with your wife? How do you be content with your husband? How do you be content with your job, your church, COVID, your new president? It's very easy. To be content, be thankful. Don't just say thanks. What do you say, little guy? Thank you. No, be thankful. Be actually thankful. I can be thankful. First time in 40 years, I'm not going to see my mom for Thanksgiving. How can I be thankful? 
Elections were rigged. How can I be thankful? Cough every time I wear a mask for more than three minutes. How can I be thankful? People dying. Can't visit my grandmother in the nursing home. How can I be thankful? Understand the sovereignty of God. Um, be thankful for the fact that I can hear you, that you can speak, that you have a tongue, that you're alive, that you can breathe, that your heart beats, that your lungs suck in carbon dioxide and expel. But got that wrong. Suck in oxygen and expel carbon dioxide. It's just an attitude, right? You, do, do you really think that when you're really complaining, you're in that mood, maybe you're cranky, you're tired, something happened, you're just complaining, can you honestly tell me that you deserve everything that you have, including the ability to complain, by the way? You just be thankful. Not in a, not in a sarcastic way. Oh, thank you, God, that there's no one to marry so I can have more free time to serve. We do that. Oh, man, you're not, listen, be careful with that. You're not talking to me because I'm telling you you're thankful. You're, you're talking to God. Be careful. Be thankful. Just start listing it. You know what? List it and say it out loud. You're, you, you'll stop because your, your tongue will get tired. Your jaws will get tired. Just there's so much stuff that we take for granted. Right? Clothing. Masks. Food. I don't care if your kids, the only reason your kids could eat this week, like many of my, my, my son's classmates, because they still go to school even though it's closed to pick up the free lunches provided by the district. That's still God's grace. We could go on. You get it. Be content. Number two, do not, do not, do not compromise by marrying an unbeliever. We justify it. I've seen it happen many times. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says we are not to be bound to unbelievers. You get older and there's one person interested, they're not a believer, or I would say even if they have wrong theology, you got to be careful, guys and gals. Don't marry an unbeliever. I'm at this this guy, are they a believer? Um, um, no. Uh-uh. Because you know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how do I say he says he is without my pastor and his wife just going, going nuts on me? You know, don't marry an unbeliever. And here's the thing. You say, of course not. Here's the thing. Strong feelings and passionate desires tend to dull our senses and cloud our judgment, especially when there's a strong desire to be married. you got to be careful. I have nothing against uh, online dating. In fact, I could tell you one story in particular. You, you've met her. She came and spoke. Uh, she and her husband are missionaries. The way they met is so specific. God used... Uh, a, a Christian dating site so specifically. Their desires, they were not compromising. It, it's amazing. But here's the thing about meeting someone online that you don't know well, you didn't grow up with, you don't go to the same church. 
You know what I just said about passions? Let me, let me read it again. Strong feelings and passionate desires tend to jolt, dull one's senses and cloud our judgment. You know what else? That guy, that girl on the end, internet? Strong feelings and passionate desires can make someone lie. Oh, what do you believe? Oh, you know, I, uh, well, do, do you... Uh, do, you, do, you, do you agree with John MacArthur? Oh, yeah, John McDowell? I MacArthur. Oh, yeah, 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 that's what I meant. Right. What about John Piper? Oh, John, John, too. John, what was that? Something to do with plumbing. John Tuber? John Tuber. Yeah, I like him a lot. Now, Piper. Piper. They'll lie. They'll lie. Be careful. You know. I understand that some people, it's overkill. But there are other people who, you know, they dig deep. I'll be honest with you. I met my wife on the mission field. She was there for a few weeks and then she left. And she came from a church that was my, my team leader supporting church since he joined the field that 20 years before me. But I, I still know who she was. She could lie to me. Our, our relationship was... Over emails and Skype, she could have lied. She could, she could have put on a, a good theology for an hour a day, edit her emails. How do I know? So I emailed her pastor. And the guy, I mean, my team leader's brother discipled this man. So I definitely, he was vouched for. I said, can you tell me about this person? You've probably heard now that we're in a relationship. Is this a good idea? You know who I'm? working with, you know where I'm from, you know what I believe. Dig deep. Meet their pastor and make them meet me. We become careless, we become vulnerable because we don't think clearly. Because they say the right things. Finally, someone that has the personality you're attracted to, but also attracted to physically, careful you don't throw away what's most important. Spirituality. Thirdly, trust God to provide, but do your part. I know someone that her greatest desire is to be married and to have children, and she doesn't know any Christian men. Go meet some people. Trust God, but do your part. If you're a guy, ask that girl out. If you're a girl, say yes. Give them a chance. Just dinner, just coffee. Now's the best time. It's just Zoom. <laughs> know that God in His sovereignty has already picked someone out for you. There aren't plenty of fish in the sea. There's one for you. I dated people that I, when we broke up, I, I was bummed because I thought I was going to marry her. And now I'm with the one that God picked out for me, and I am so thankful. With those passions and desires out of the picture, I am so thankful that I didn't pursue marriage with those girls. Trust God to provide, but do your part. Fourthly, until you find the right person, you need to be the right person. And I don't mean just so that you can attract a godly girl or a godly guy. Don't buy into the thinking that you are somehow incomplete until you are married. 
Who you are now is who God has you to be right now. So if God wants you to be single now, you are complete as a single for now. So serve now. Don't wait until you're married to serve. Serve now. All that stuff I said about the people who have the gift of singleness, even if it's just temporary, even if it's just for a year, even if you're dating, even if you're engaged but the wedding's not for a year, you have time now. You have money now. You have resources now. Serve. Don't, don't worry. Don't listen to the, the, the married matchmakers in your church. Just serve. Focus on what you need to be doing. Frankly, you shouldn't be listening to them anyway. Because no mature Christian is going to play matchmaker. No mature Christian, especially now that they understand this passage, will do such things. And this leads to the fifth one. Use your singleness well. Use your singleness well. Again, though you may not have the gift of singleness, you are single now. The greater freedom you have because of more time and money and less responsibility must be used for God's glory. Don't waste it. You know, right now we have a member of our church who hasn't seen his wife in weeks because he's been in and out of the hospital and physical therapy. And because of COVID, no visitations are allowed and her, his wife's handicapped anyways. And so the way they're going to make, make, make her visit is she can't get to with her walker. Did you know that? But I bet some of you could tell me every plot line of The Mandalorian. Use your singleness for the glory of God. More than once, my good friend Gordy the guy who moved to Albania around the same time as me to start the seminary. He was the dean of the seminary. We're in this small building. I've told you before, it's where the church was as well as an English and computer school, former home of the atheist dictator. His office was on the third floor. Mine was on the second. It was kind of a narrower building. So we'd come down the stairs. He was a lineman in college, so I could hear him coming down the stairs. You know, this is an old, like, old communist-era building with a lot of wood. Clunk, 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 clunk. Here he comes, and he'd always say, bang, bang, bang. Open the door. Hey, still stunning. What are you working on? And more than once, and understand, this was a godly man who loved his family. But more than once, as he was leaving the building, we were the only two left in the building except for, you know, cleaning ladies or um, the, the security guards. You say, good night and goodbye and Again, more than once, he said, sometimes I wish I was single like you because like you, then I could stay here and keep working and studying, but I need to go home to have dinner with my family and put my daughter to bed. See, this whole thing about you have more time, use it for the glory of the Lord, you know who understands this the most? Those of us who are married. Not that we're not happy, but we realize there's a lot of things we wish we could do that we can't do. And now we look back and we say, man, if all those years that I was single, if only I did more, if only I did this stuff, if only I served, what did I do? What did I do all that time? Video games and videos and 
just surfing the web. It's just a waste. The most valuable resource any of us have is time. You can make money back. A lot of times you spend money on something like a car repair, they actually pay you back. The insurance company pays you back. You get it back. You can earn more. But time, you're never getting that back. Never, ever. Impossible. Can't do it. People have tried. Fountain of Youth, Time Machine. That's why we love those movies and stories. You can't do it. Time wasted is time gone forever. So, the point that my friend Gordy made was that even as a married person, his view of singleness revolved around the ability to serve more, not travel, not have free time, not, not have to tell bedtime stories or get a glass of water for his kids. It was for him His understanding of singleness, my singleness at the time, was all about ministry. That's how we need to think as well. And I understand that it may be hard for single people to get it now, but trust me when I say you have what we don't in a unique way that is to be used for God's glory. The gift of singleness is a spiritual gift. It is a selfless good, but it's also a subjective good. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us as a church to understand how you have gifted all of us. Married or single, may we encourage each other to excel still more in our own spiritual walks as well as in our service and ministry. For the singles, Lord, give them a contentedness for those with the gift of singleness. Guard them against the unbiblical pressure and advice they may get from others. Guard them against unbiblical views of marriage but give them a biblical view of service, sacrifice. For those who are single but desire to be married, give them the same passion to serve you with their time and resources. Give them contentedness in you, gratitude for what you have given them, where you have placed them now. Guard them against the wrong thinking about the ticking of the clock or the views on unbiblical views on marriage. And for them, Lord, may you reveal to them in your perfect timing the one you have for them. Until then, let them and all of us serve to our maximum capability as our time and resources allow. Thank you for that privilege, Lord. Help us to not miss out on it. In Jesus' name.